ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. The federal government has released a report recommending multi-billion dollar changes to the higher education sector. The university's accord proposes more than doubling the number of university students to 1.8 million by 2050, including more from regional, disadvantaged and Indigenous communities. The Accord also puts forward plans for a future fund calling on the wealthier universities to provide a greater contribution. Mark Scott is the Vice-Chancellor of the University of Sydney and joins me now. Mark Scott, welcome back to RN Breakfast. Good morning, Sally. Is this plan a good one for the sector, do you think? I think there's a lot of merit in the report. It sets out a bold direction for the future of Australian higher education and, and fundamentally... The idea, the reality that we've got many more students who need to get a university degree to equip themselves for the workforce of the future, that's important. We need to do a far better job of getting students in from low SES backgrounds and successfully having them graduate from university. And the report identifies the chronic underfunding that exists in higher education today. So it sets out an impressive blueprint for the future. But the critical question will be uh, the funding of these ambitions. Is it fair that some of the wealthier universities step up and contribute more to the sector? I think you'll find that there are a number of universities, the large universities that do a lot of the research, are already making a massive contribution to the sector. As I said, the report really demonstrates that university education is chronically underfunded in Australia. Many courses that are offered um, uh, do not have the funding that matches the cost of offering the degree. There's a massive funding gap when it comes to uh, research. We need more money to support low SES students. What universities are doing by raising their own income through international students or by philanthropy, they are investing in the sector to close that funding gap. Many universities are spending hundreds of millions of dollars to prop up research programs that in other countries would have been funded by government. As the report demonstrates, the government's contribution to research and development in Australia is at the lowest end of the OECD. So that's what universities have been doing with their funding. Universities don't make profits. Universities invest every dollar they make in teaching and learning and research. And so already a very strong contribution has been made. What about, though, this question of some of the universities, as you say, who have got uh, additional uh, revenue coming in from international uh, students and philanthropy? What about those universities then having to contribute rather than reinvesting back into their own institution, putting some of that into the pot for the wider uh, university sector? There, I, I think it's just a strange argument that says if this report demonstrates that the system is chronically underfunded, then the only revenue measure identified should be a tax on the system that's chronically underfunded. There is reference to this matching fund, a future fund in the report, that asks the university sector to contribute $5 billion that it doesn't have to uh, prop up that that, uh, fund, but also for the federal government to put $5 billion in. I think our argument would be if the federal government's going to contribute $5 billion, that's an important down payment on the future. And absolutely, that funding should go to universities in greatest need, universities who are offering at financial disadvantage, universities who have additional costs 
because of the students they're educating or where they're located. So put additional money into the system, particularly around teaching and learning, and have that allocated on a needs basis. But don't tax the system that's been recognised and identified as being chronically underfunded in this report. For the universities that have more uh, more dollars behind them, isn't it reasonable, though, for them to, if we're going to bring in some of these more disadvantaged students, and particularly regional students, if they're going to be more attracted to regional universities, it's very difficult for those regional universities often to get foreign students and or philanthropy. Doesn't it make sense to, to spread some of that around? I think the report identifies that additional money needs to be provided under the university funding model for educating students from low SES backgrounds. So we need to fix that funding model that's provided by the federal government to put extra money into those universities. But universities don't only teach, Sally. They do research as well. The report identifies that uh, there is a massive funding gap on the real cost of research, and research is critical uh, to Australia's uh, economic future. Now, the heavy lifting on research in the country overwhelmingly comes from the large universities, uh, the GO8 universities and some others that are doing a lot of research. That's where a lot of the extra income is is coming. And so the extra income is uh, coming into the university and being allocated towards funding that research gap. So um, if, in fact, we don't fund that research gap, then Australia's research performance will decline. So um, there are real problems in the funding of the system. The answer is not to um, tax one part of the system to prop up another part of the system. It's for the government to recognise that the full cost of teaching and learning and research needs to be met if we're to have the higher education system that we really need. Mark Scott, this accord also says that by around 2050 uh, that it wants uh, Australia to go from 800,000 university students to uh, 1.8 million. Is that achievable, do you think? Is it realistic? Well, I think it it, it comes from an analysis as to what the economy will really need and the kinds of skills that the jobs of the new economy will need. But at the moment, I think the Minister identified this yesterday, we have challenges all the way uh, from early childhood education all the way through to higher education. Participation rates of three and four-year-olds in early childhood education are low in historic terms. We've seen concern at the declining standards of uh, Australian schools when compared to other nations and the international PISA results. And we know participation rates in universities are are too low. And that's why I think the Minister identifying we need a holistic approach uh, to education to increase standards and participation rates across the board. And I think we need to view that as an investment. Uh, There will be scrabbling around how much money government should spend on education. It is the most forward-thinking investment that a government can make. It's the most nation-building investment that a government can make. We will reap the dividends of the investment made today for generations to come. So it will need holistic change. It will need big investment, but it can be done if it is purposeful and I think sustained over time. One of the things you sometimes see is that governments change, ministers change, Uh, policy directions change. You need a consistent, long-term, bipartisan commitment to get reforms of this ambition done. 
Mark, one of the other big issues that universities are facing is a sexual assault on campus. The government has announced a national ombudsman to oversee sexual assault complaints at university. Do do you welcome that? Yes, we do. I think uh, every student who attends our university has a right and an expectation that they should be able to attend university and university events and be absolutely safe without any risk of assault or harassment. Any case is a case of too many. I think the university sector admits that we haven't done enough over the years to provide that safe environment. We are all working very hard on that now. It is an absolute priority. It'll be discussed by the vice chancellors of the university when they meet in Canberra today again. And uh, if an ombudsman provides an important mechanism for students' voices uh, to be heard and for complaints to be identified and quickly acted on, if that's part of the outcome, we all welcome that. Mark Scott, in addition to your uh, day job, I'm sure you're still an ABC listener, viewer, consumer. Uh, uh, What do you think of the tenure of uh, Ida Buttrose as the chair of the ABC? Has it been a successful one? Well, I've I've made a vow, Sally, not to provide commentary having uh, left the organisation, but I think you've got to say that that Ida um, was a champion of the ABC. She was a very experienced uh, media leader. She was quite, I think, courageous at times for standing up to the ABC, and that's what you need a chair to be able uh, to do at times. There'll be, always will be critics of the ABC. Many will be genuine. Some won't be well-meaning. Um, uh, there'll be times the organisation needs to be defended, and I think she's done a good job on that uh, over time. Now that you're not in that role, how do you reflect on the level of criticism that the ABC has been um, attracting in the past few years? One of the things um, that I saw over my time, when the ABC was simply doing radio and television, I think there was a sense that there would be criticism, but it would be more... um, muted. Now that the ABC is a very strong presence online, and we all know that online media is so incredibly competitive and demanding, I think the ABC finds itself more in the sights of other media organisations. It's a competitor that other media organisations take down. But the ABC is not perfect, and I think we used to say that, of course, when I was there, I used to reflect that there were dozens and dozens and dozens of live microphones broadcasting around the country every morning. Uh, Not every report would be perfect, not every program would be perfect. And at times the ABC would have to admit it had made a mistake and to do its best to make amends. But overwhelmingly, it's an extraordinary asset to this nation, uh, doing tremendous work, part of the lives of millions of Australians each day. And um, we shouldn't lose sight of that remarkable achievement that the ABC is when from time to time there's some rocky days. Has it drifted away from its audience, do you think, the ABC? Oh, well, I don't want to comment on it uh, too much. The only thing I'd say is that it's much harder to find audiences now because audiences are far more fragmented. You know, back a few decades ago, there were fewer media outlets, there were vast audiences. But I'm still convinced from what I see that the ABC is doing its absolute best to tell Australian stories, to reflect uh, Australia back to Australia and to use every outlet possible to take those stories and reach Australians where they are. And it's still absolutely central uh, in the life of modern Australia. Well, Mark Scott, we'll leave you to your new funding battles. Uh, Thanks very much for your time. Thanks, Sally. That's Mark Scott there, uh, University of Sydney Vice-Chancellor and, of course, 
the former managing director of the ABC. You're listening to Breakfast. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.